The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, a Red Dwarf review podcast with me, Adam Martin, my co-host, Phil Hawkins. And today we are joined by a very special guest. We are joined by Billy Garrett John. How's it going, Billy? Wow. Thank you very much. A lovely introduction. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, <laughs> Phil, for inviting me on. That's OK. Um, I was saying this to you off air a second ago, but just for everyone listening, I knew I had to invite Billy on because he posted... A picture of his bookshelves, and he had every Red Dwarf DVD on there. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, I've got to get him on." Oh, thank Absolutely. you very much. Yeah, I'm a big Red Dwarf fan, and I was saying as well to you guys before we started recording that this is really my first opportunity I've had to sort of publicly express my love for Red Dwarf or talk about an episode. You know? No, wonderful. Well, from the sounds of that, it sounds like you're very much in a similar category to Phil in terms of Red Dwarf. Uh, fandom because for anyone listening who is perhaps new to this podcast um phil has been a fan of red dwarf since the 1990s he's watched many of the series on first transmission whereas when we started this i had never seen an episode of red dwarf i know i'm fighting to get my nerd card back as we speak i'm working on it uh, so every episode we review is a first time for me um but i'm assuming billy this isn't your first time this is your <laughs> umpteenth time perhaps it's watching. not my it's not my first rodeo yeah no I, i've been a massive red dwarf fan for years um i kind of came into it because of my love for robot wars uh oh, which craig charles yeah. obviously uh, hosted yeah. and um i just remember my dad coming back from the charity shop once and he just said look there's something with craig charles face on it you like <laughs> robot wars and i think he also had watched a lot of red dwarf back in the day as well on first transmission um, yeah. read a couple of the books as well. I think he had the omnibus. Ooh, the nice. So yeah, like he just sort of gave me the VHS and I put it in. I was like, oh yeah, look, it's Craig Charles from Red Dwarf, uh, from Robot Wars. And then suddenly it was Craig Charles from Red Dwarf. That was the most yeah. important thing in the world. <laughs> so yeah, and then I just, you know, absorbed as much of it as I Can could. Can you remember when years. that was? When, when abouts was it you started uh, watching I, it? Was it, was it during the period that, I mean, we're all Doctor Who fans here as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, as Doctor Who fans, we understand the concept of the wilderness years. Red Dwarf has its own wilderness years. It does. About 10 years where there were no new series. Was it during that period? Yeah, it would have been. I I think it would have been around 2004, 2005 that I first got into it. Um, and that was through the VHSs. So I, I, the, the first things we owned, because we couldn't really afford like new DVDs, the first things we owned that were Red Dwarf related were like the old, um, uh, they, they split the seasons into two. Uh, yeah, bite one, bite two. Bite one, bite two, exactly. So right. the, my first one was um, the first bite or second bite with quarantine on it from series four. Nice. And so that became like my favourite, and it still is my favourite episode of Red Dwarf. Um, and then, yeah, kind of picked up other bits and bobs again at charity shops. And, you know, so I didn't have a full viewing experience of Red Dwarf from the start from series one through everything yeah. else it was all in bits and bobs so it was like oh well holly was a girl last week in the episode that i watched on video <laughs> no, but now, a man. <laughs> yeah what's going on this is a bit strange so yeah. yeah it was it was it was a nice introduction it's kind of the way i i think a lot of people experience those things that aren't on air anymore like doctor who or you yeah know, Red Dwarf. yeah I, I mean in many ways it was similar for me because i i started in the sort of mid 90s and it was still on the air so i caught sort of series i think six or seven was the first one I caught as it was going out. But then I'd also caught loads on repeat and not necessarily in the right order. So <laughs> it was very similar for me yeah. as well. I don't I, know I'm, how people I'm sorry, did. I didn't go on. I was no, sorry. Say, I'm kind of impressed that, you know, Phil started maybe series six, seven and decided to like carry on watching it. Like if you started at series <laughs> seven, I'd be like, not a chance. I'm, I'm checking out. I don't think show. I had any concept Ooh, that it was series honest. seven at the time. It was just, uh, it just came on the telly. It was just on. And I, yeah. It was just on. As you know, linear TV was in those days. I had four channels and yeah, yeah, yeah. it just, <laughs> it, it happened to be on and I found it funny. Yeah. So I watched more of it when I next saw it was on. Ooh. Love well, it. that sounds very ominous for Series 7. Can't wait till, can't wait till I get to I'm there. kind of surprised that Phil hasn't introduced you to the concept that Series 7 and 8 aren't actually that, I, like, good. I've, compared I've to the heard, ones. like, through now various grapevines, like, Phil yeah. says on, like, Facebook groups. I, I think I said 
in a previous episode, Phil, didn't I? I think people seem to think this one we're doing, Series 3, and I think Series 6 it was, people seem to be like, yeah, that's like yeah. that's like peak Red Dwarf. And then, yeah, I think people have said like 7 and 8 are a bit, mm. bit wobbly. Because I, but... I haven't seen those two series in years, so I'm looking forward to getting around to them again. Yeah. Just, just I, I, I think there are positives to, to drag out of them, but I think it's just the general experience of watching it. It's not like classic Red Dwarf in much the same way that people look at the Dave era now and yeah. you, know, you could compare that with the new series of Doctor Who and the classic series of Doctor Who going, it doesn't quite feel that, you know, it's got it's missing something. Um, mm. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, we are still uh, listeners in Series 3. We're looking at Episode 4 today, which is Body Swap, which originally went out on the 5th of December 1989. And the uh, plot synopsis is, Rimmer suggests that the perfect way to help Lister get healthy is by swapping bodies, by implanting his mind into Lister's and vice versa, so that Rimmer can undergo a hefty exercise regime in Lister's body. However, Rimmer is overtaken with excitement at the prospect of having a physical body again and refuses to give it back to Lister. That is your plot synopsis. So, body swap, gents. Um, If you don't, I just want to quickly say, the theme tune to Red Dwarf, I do love it. I love it, and Phil's heard this a few times now. But Billy Jumber in series one and two, the intro wasn't necessarily that theme. It was like, well, it was the theme, but like that very slow. Yeah, it was more of, of a sort ship. of space opera, sort of yeah. Star Trek sort of epic thing. Yeah, I've got to admit, I still low key. I think I preferred that at the minute. Maybe it's because I'm watching them in order for the first time. But I, there was there was something I really loved about that slow, like panning with the music building. I don't know what it is. Like I love the Red Door theme in this series is great. Mm. It's brilliant, but. Yeah, I think I'm holding on to that that first version. I don't know about you two, but do you know? Do you know? I think the reason that, like, I think those that that theme tune sort of sits in with the original concept of it being a bit more bereft. The show, yeah, I th- you know, yeah. like people, you know, marooned and deserted in deep space. You yeah. know, that kind of pressing weight of the universe, and so the theme kind of works for that in the first two seasons. But then from series three onwards. And I think Rob and Doug both put it down to watching Cheers for the first time. They're like, right, there needs to be way more jokes. Um, <laughs> let's make this a sitcom. And then the theme song for Series 3 onwards is like, it's a sitcom in space. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, we've said this before, but it becomes a bit more of a action-adventure series from Series mm. 3 onwards. Whereas before, mm. it was very much a, it's how these two people are coping with each other uh, exactly. in a confined less, space. Less of a human sort of melodrama. And, you know, yeah. all those all those sequences on the observation deck, you know, and all those other kind of like quite quite personal moments sort of filter away as you get through the seasons. Yeah, um, we love yeah. a good observation deck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's it's funny you mention about it becoming more like sort of, you know, comedic based and action adventure, because I wrote that the first few minutes of this uh, this episode where you've got the scutter that's gone mad and it's rewired everything and. Uh, I've noted Rimmer and Cat in particular, the tone, even before the auto-destruct thing happens, the tone feels very somber. Like Mm. Rimmer Rimmer and Cat, for some reason, feel very somber. And I don't know if that was maybe like the direction. But, you know, compared to normal, I mean, you know what Cat's like normally. He's like full of life, twizzling everywhere. But even when he's walking with Lister to the snack machine, he just seemed very somber compared to... I I think I know why that is. Uh, Especially in the studio sequences. Mm. Um, I can't attest to why, you know, you know, Danny was maybe feeling a bit morose on the studio bits, but on the location bits, maybe he'd been out with Craig the night before or something. Um, oh. I mean, the, they were filming in Manchester and the Hacienda was still open. So, oh, God, um, yeah. <laughs> but the, I think the reason why that first scene and I think quite a few scenes sort of later on in, in this episode feel quite weighty is because there's no studio audience. Um, oh. be- because of the complexities of doing the dubbed lines, yes. no, it wasn't shot in front of a studio audience. So the, the audience oh. reactions are legit, but they were recorded after screening it to a room full of fans. Right. Okay. Um, and so I think the energy levels, and this is one of my main kind of criticisms with the story, the energy levels and certain performances, whereas they would have gone from like a nine to a ten if the audience were in the room, it kind mm. of lifts the atmosphere and gives it a bit more energy. I kind of feel like because that isn't there, the whole episode feels a bit deflated. I think um, you're right. I, I was going to say a very similar thing, and that really does explain it, because I was going to mention it about Craig Charles's performance. It just felt mm. like a little bit like he was having a bit of an off day, slightly felt like he was phoning it in a little bit. 
but yeah. that might explain a lot if they don't because a lot of you know shows like that and and you you feed a lot off the audience reaction and mm. and like you're saying that that builds you up and if they didn't have that in the studio that makes a lot of sense i i think that that observation of, of craig especially i picked up on because and i don't know if it's because there's no audience and you know he he likes an audience you see it on the smeg ups you know he's always playing to the crowd and telling jokes and stuff i think that it's also being across from chris who is by trade an amazing mimic now, I know obviously mm. all of the stuff is ADR'd on afterwards when they share each other's lines and each other's voices, but there is a particularly obvious rift between the, the quality of, of, of the mimicry, mimicry in terms of like, yeah. you know, Chris kind of slouches his shoulders forward a bit when he's when Lister's in his body, um, whereas like, yeah, Craig just sort of is Craig Charles or he's play, <laughs> yeah. playing Lister, you know, physically. He doesn't really do an awful lot to alter his stance or his facial expression. I think once he got the uniform on, though, that did change uh, yeah. a little bit. Once he got the uniform, yeah. once he got Remy's yeah. uniform on, he was so, kind of standing up a bit more straight. So mm. he, he kind mm-hmm. of had yeah. that sort of smug look on his face. He yeah, felt a bit enough. more like Rimmer there. But I do, yeah, in, especially in those early scenes, I know what you mean. Mm. Yeah. It's even like the like you say with the lip sync as well, because as soon as... The, I can't remember the, the previous episode in particular, but in a previous episode, we've seen Chris Barry impersonate different characters vocally, and he mm. gives a pretty... I mean, me and Phil commented he did a pretty bang-up job of, like, you know, Lister's voice and Holly... Uh, everyone's voice, really. And the first time you see him lip-sync, you know, mimic uh, Lister, like, the way... The, the lips with the audio, like, it's, it's spot-on, and the physicality, like you say. Mm. Whereas with Craig, it's mostly spot-on, but I think once, you know, once you, once you say, oh, it's pretty accurate, there's a few moments where it isn't as accurate, and mm. it, it just becomes, like you say, a bit more a bit more noticeable in a way. It's nothing against Craig Charles, like you say. It's a, it's a very difficult art to do as well. But um, yeah, I know, I know what you mean about there being a rift and like m- m- seeing it, I suppose, yeah. I think that, I, I don't know the technicalities of how it was done, but I kind of get the impression that maybe it was just shot live and then they dubbed afterwards. Which yeah, would make, yeah. obviously makes way more sense. So of course it was that way. Why did I say that? Anyway, I think... <laughs> That the issue, one of the issues is that Craig's speech pattern is just a lot more faster because he's a lot more kind of you know, uh, you know Absolutely. his energy levels are a bit higher. Whereas you know Chris, you know he's measured. He takes his time with what he wants to say and all that sort of stuff. I think that Chris is having a problem getting all of his words in when when you know, you know all that all that dialogue's going off coming out of Lister's mouth. Yeah. Um, uh, Craig's. Oh my God, this is going to be so confusing now. Trying to differentiate between <laughs> who's actually acting and who's doing yeah, the voice. Course, so it's. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, it's it's Craig, uh, but obviously Chris is dubbing over him. But Craig speaks very fast, so Chris is struggling to get all of his dialogue. Into, yeah, and I knows. suppose that would be also the opposite problem, the other way around. Whereas yeah. Chris Barry would have been sort of slower in his speech, um, and then so Craig would have had to have like forcibly slowed himself down from how he would the, the mm. sort of speed he would normally speak to mm. try and fit it in right so yeah because all of those scenes or where they would where they did the voice swapping it they, it just it just jarred so much for me that it was really really slightly off-putting and i get what they were going for but it just i don't know if it worked for me yeah, for sure yeah just just for a little bit of content i'm sure some of you have seen this but um after the ship is about to blow up and they save it by using the body swap with an authorised member of the crew um, afterwards uh, Rimmer is basically giving Lister a bit of a hard time about his uh, health you know he eats a lot of bad food he smokes I just thought I'm going to interrupt you because you've just made me remember something I was going to say about that bit where they get the uh, higher sort of higher Mm, up person to abort the to try and abort the self-destruct they A it was a shame we didn't get to hear Captain Hollister's voice I don't know why they didn't like why Mm. I don't know if just the actor wasn't available or what, but that was a shame. But also I was slightly confused about why if they have the holographic discs. Do they have to do a body swap? Can't they just turn the hologram on? Yeah, I guess the problem is the crimson short one up there can only sustain one hologram. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. I think, yeah, they'd be in it because that's the whole kind of issue with bringing Kachansky back on disc is they can only be one hologram. Yes. But I noticed another kind of thing with that, where Holly is, you know, Holly's Holly, fine, she gets stuff wrong, she's, you know, got an IQ of, what, 6,000 car park attendants or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, so she says that it will override the self-destruct, 
and then um, Officer Brown through Lister says the code and it doesn't work. Hmm. And it's like, what? Why? Why didn't? Why didn't it work? There's no explanation as because Holly even says Brown's got clearance to abort yeah. self-destruct. Yeah. And then the voice does. happens and it doesn't work. Maybe it's because it's not using her vocal cords. I don't know, but like some kind of explanation would have been quite... Yeah, or the scutters had rewired another bit. The men Ex- yes, anything. Or... But it just seemed yeah. a bit weird that it just didn't work just to kind of have the have an admittedly fantastic gag where, you know, you've got the milkshake and the... And the um, oh, that was brilliant. Crispy I bar didn't see that coming at all. Great, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It was just so good. Yeah. like And uh, you're right, though, about the whole no explanation. And I've noticed, obviously, going through this for the first time, there's a few of these red dwarfisms, I call them, like either little small things that either don't get, you know, elaborated on or get forgotten about. And, I you know, I get it. It's a sitcom. You know, there's not as much emphasis on remember it or, like, filling in those gaps maybe as, like, a straight sci-fi drama. Uh, the one I always mention now is the one at the start of this uh, series, <laughs> film is what I'm talking about, where, you know, you in, you're introduced to a female Holly, lots of different changes, and you've got the Star Wars scroll going at a thousand miles an hour. Foolishly, Billy, <laughs> I didn't read it because I thought it was a joke. I thought you but, weren't meant to read it. Yeah, well, well, exactly. That's how it's like played off, though, isn't it? But, it, but exactly. in, in yeah, the 90s, but nobody would described. have been able to read it. Because <laughs> exactly, even yeah, if somebody yeah. had recorded it on VHS, if you'd paused it, it would have been all fuzzy with loads of lines across it, mm. as VHS was. It, oh, so, yes. they, so they did it knowing that nobody would read it, but maybe yeah. one day somebody would be able to pause it perfectly. And, and it kind it. of like, doesn't, but almost, but definitely doesn't explain why everything's so different now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We let it slide. We let it slide. Um <laughs> But after that crisis averted, uh, yeah, Rimmer has a go at Lister. You know, you, he's not healthy. He eats awfully, drinks drinks a lot, smokes a lot. Suggests that if uh, he was in his body, he'd get him on a health regime. He'd make him feel better. And Lister's a bit, you know, he's not convinced at first. But after a lot of pestering from Rimmer, he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so we have the first instance of the two body swapping. Um, and... We get a few gags, you know, about them being in each other's bodies. We've already talked a bit about the the lip sync from the pair of them. Um, but the first scene in particular that strings to mind is with Rimmer with uh, his banquet from Crichton. So <laughs> what do we think about that scene? I think it's lovely. Um, I think if you, you know, had lost that sensation of like touch and eating things, that you would go mental, wouldn't you? You, you oh, would absolutely. just have the biggest pile of food possible. And throw yourself into it, and you just go a bit crazy. Um, I, I think that yeah, everybody would would be in that in that kind of scenario. So it's quite cathartic to watch somebody throw their face into a plate full of mashed potato. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. I, I, I like the fact that you know that, that Lister's diet is being called up because it's like he's got an atrocious diet. I mean, in this episode alone, we get Kipper's Vindaloo as a delicacy. Um, yeah. We've got the triple fried egg sandwich with chili sauce and chutney from before. Yeah. Uh, yes. The Shami Kebab Diablo. Nobody explains what the hell that is. Um, <laughs> a beer milkshake. And then the sugar puff sandwiches, obviously. Uh, um, they go down in history. But I think it's it's cool that somebody's just gone. I mean, he's joked, he, t- he talks about eating curries all the time. But let's see some consequences for all this stuff. Yeah. No, that's it. Yeah. What about you, Phil? Yeah, it was a, it was a funny scene. And... You know, the they really obviously overemphasized everything, like the mashed potato with like I can't remember what the line was, but something like quadruple cream and ridiculous amounts of milk and butter and stuff in it. Yeah, it it works really well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, being Rimmer, he orders like something some trout dish which has a really fancy name because he wants to seem posh as well uh one thing that sprung out to me that uh rimmer does in lister's body like you say gotta <laughs> gotta get that correct is um he gets rid of the the dreadlocks which feels like the end of a red dwarf era because of course he's had well for me again going through from the beginning he's had them from day one and it's rimmer great just, i, I just... such I, it almost feels like that should be a serious finale moment Lister gets rid of his dreads, you know. Um, And also, I I didn't notice on the first rewatch, because I actually watched this twice. I watched the transmission version, and I watched the uh, remastered version as well, with Ah. a couple of added bits and bobs. Well, one added bit and bob. Um, And there's a really lovely bit. It's in both versions, but I didn't notice it the first time, where when Lister's all bandaged up in his bunk, he's got a bit of elastic around his dreads, and he's stuck his dreads back to his head with, like, a bit of string. Uh, over his thing, I I, know, I hadn't noticed that before. I thought it was a really nice touch that he was trying to get back to being normal again. 
Yeah, I wonder if they'll have miraculously fully regrown by next episode. I wonder. <laughs> oh, is that okay? Right. <laughs> I've said this to Phil a few times. You know, things happen like that, and I go, "Oh, I'd love this to be a continue." He's like, "Adam, no, you should you should know by now. We're three series Brilliant. in. If you think something's going to continue, it probably isn't." That's so, so funny. <laughs> and then they'll it, it, randomly continue some really obscure thing yeah, that was mentioned yeah. like three seasons ago. Exactly. Like you know, oh, that monster that was good one week. Let's bring it back like two or three seasons later. Like, why not? It's great. Yeah. That's what I love about the show, though. You can just, you can get away with it because it's a comedy as well. I must admit, though, throughout all this shenanigans so far, um, well, I guess I'll, I'll say first, you know, after uh, Lister catches Rimmer feasting when he shouldn't be, he's like, right, want my body back, and it happens. And Rimmer's, you know, begging and begging and begging. He's like, come on, come on, let me do it. And Rimmer, you know, see, I'm doing it now. I'm getting <laughs> And Lister, go, Lister goes, no, no way. Um, then... <laughs> River gets Crichton to chloroform him and do it against his will. And again, I know, I know it's a sitcom. I know it's a comedy. And I was like, it's a comedy, Adam, let it fly. But like, River's kind of a dick in this. Like more than you, like we, I think I said before, oh, sorry about the bad word. River's not a very nice person. Um, he's, because he, he, we, I think me and Phil have said before, he's like that in many episodes. You know, he's got that air about him, that self-arrogance, the pomposity sort of thing. But it's it's always usually endearing. You know, that's it's what you sort of love him for, that sort of snarkiness. But I don't know, I just feel this one, I couldn't really... I couldn't get behind it in the same way. Even I, though I'm like, oh, it's a comedy, it's a comedy. But it's just... I don't know. It's just, I, I yeah. totally agree with you, Adam. I, I, I actually noted down that... In, in every kind of, you know, Rimmer caper where he does something wrong, kind of screws everybody over, you always get the impression that eventually he'll see sense, you know, and he'll kind of come round to what he's done and he'll help the crew out and realise he is a smeghead or whatever. But in this scenario, I can genuinely just see him flying off with Lister's body and not coming back. Like, yeah. you know, like he's lost this sensation and it's the kind of key kind of humans all the human sensations he's been left without for years and now he's finally got them all back and somebody wants to take it away from him again it's like no of course he isn't he's going to do everything it takes to keep that sensation no matter how bad it is and i'm not sort of agreeing with him in that instance but you know i can see that this would be the one he just absolutely loses it with you know yeah no, yeah, I did. I did write that. I do understand like why he's doing it, but yeah, the whole the whole way he goes. Of it. The first time, obviously, was was consensual because R- uh, R- obviously Lister agreed to it. I of think, course. I think it's just. I know it was. You know, it was made a long time. It was nineteen eighty nine, a long time mm. ago. But I just think the whole notion of like chloroforming someone to do sure. something that they haven't agreed to. And again, I, I know people might say, I know it's a comedy. I know it was made long, but for me, it just was a bit like bit of a clenched teeth red flaggy thing but that's that's just me yeah and there's been a few things since we started going through it that have been like oh don't know if we would do that now you know even in a show like this just because like it it just feels a bit uh i don't know what the word is um uh help me out (laughs) what's the word i'm looking i I guess i guess by comparison it's probably just a bit inappropriate or yeah it just you know like it's I think the, the, the trouble is, especially when you're talking about a science fiction series and a comedy show, is that there is obviously that suspension of disbelief and you're going into it signing up for the fact it's a, it's a caper set in space. So, you know, you're going to see monsters and weird things or whatever. But yeah, I think sometimes there are moments like that where it is just slightly too real. Um, I'm, there, there is a chloroform thing in a later episode. It's not as egregious as this, but I think it, it's... Um, yeah, I've just got an image of Crichton chloroforming somebody else, kind of later on. I don't. Is that that's not series eight, is it? Because there's some dodgy stuff in series eight. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not Crichty perving on. It's not Crichty TV. No, it's not Crichty TV. You've got that to enjoy, Adam. Yeah, um, we won't oh, tell great. you. We won't tell <laughs> no, you anymore. But I, it's it's. I think it's like a series. For, I think it's the it's uh, quarantine. I think it might be. Oh, okay. Chloroform somebody to knock him out. I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right. Oh, great! Can't wait till I get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, and because uh, I mentioned like uh, later on, you know, he gets his body back again, and then uh, eventually takes off in a Starbug and buggers off, and basically says, "I like your body. I'm gonna keep it for an extended period." Soz, love you. See you later. Bye. And um, I did find that funny. Like the whole message was funny. But again, I just think, and and some people might think I'm reading it too serious. It's just the way I interpret it. You know, mm. I just think as soon as 
from because it stemmed from the whole chloroforming thing. Like, even though I found it funny, I felt I probably would have found this funnier had the circumstance been yeah, played out differently. But again, I don't know what you two thought, but that was that was my reaction. To I, the, I mean, the yeah, I, I, genu- I actually that's the first time I kind of I didn't think of it when I watched it. Oh, that's a bit iffy. But think, you know, just hearing somebody else voicing a concern about it, it's like, oh, actually, you know what? It is again. It's it's a non-consensual sort of thing, isn't it? So yeah, it's, yeah. That's... And you could see you could see Crichton was very torn up about it. Uh, mm. He did, you know, it's his programming making him obey the commands, but he really didn't want to be doing it. Which did, you know, his reaction I did find very amusing. Like the way yeah. he, the way his guilt comes across, and uh, the way he when he's doing stuff that he doesn't particularly want to be doing, uh, the the sort of physicality of uh, Robert Llewellyn there he he mm. d- just does it brilliantly and so that, that that it's not that it was all bad it, there was you know some good out in, in those scenes as well yeah no absolutely yeah there was some uh, like i mean even uh right i'll get it right rimmer in lister's body that's correct when he's in the ship you know doing his little conductor thing i thought that was really cute oh yeah that's... that was cool he's <laughs> yeah. going on a joyride in lister's body while eating cream donuts i get yeah it's yeah. such a bizarre <laughs> bizarre sort of like visual um yeah also so obviously the the, the big chase kind of happens now um, yes, between yeah. blue midget and starbug which i think i think is referred to as white midget they get the line yeah. wrong in the previous they, scene oh. well i was looking on the imdb about this apparently because under the trivia section it says that it was scripted as white midget because they were planning on introducing a new smaller version of the ah. blue midget that would be the white midget but then they went with creating starbug instead but they didn't change the script so ah. they said white midget, and in and in some versions, it's just dubbed over as the midget, but right. obviously not in the version we watched. Yeah, I mean, in in the um the version I watched on Netflix, that had the midget as the yes, subtitle. that's the one which we was, watched, which was which well. was a bit a bit strange. Um, but yeah, um, that obviously leads on to the model sequence, that great chase over the yes. planet's surface, over that you know that planetoid or whatever, which looks great. And, um, you know, there's a, c- a couple of repeated shots here and there. But, you know, it's the first kind of complicated mold shot of that type in Red Dwarf. Um, and it looks pretty good, I have to say. However, the remastered version is CG and it looks awful. Oh, is it? Yeah, they oh. replaced the, that entire model sequence with the same sort of effects you get in Series 7. Um, oh, with no. Starbug flying into like a planetoid and then through these caves. And then it isn't like, oh, he hits something and then diverts down into the ground. It's just... Lister just pilots himself, or Rimmer pilots himself, into a wall. And then oh. you've got this awful oh smouldering CGI Starbug. And it's we've just been saying nice. since the very start that the model work on this show is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. It, just, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't date in the same way that CGI from the same era does. It dates, CGI dates so badly, mm. <laughs> and this yeah. model work doesn't. So it's a shame that they... They did it with the CGI. Yeah. <laughs> I've said to I've said to Phil before, like obviously these early series, like you say, it's all model work as opposed to CG. But knowing just how technology changed and like the CG boom of the nineties, like I am dreading slightly when we get to the latest because I know, like you know, it is going to be CG as opposed to, and I'm sure maybe in like the Dave era, for example, I haven't seen that. You know, my, maybe it's got to a point where you know it's CG, but it's at least very good cg or like refined cg but just how you described it there as soon as you said oh they added cg on i was like oh yeah it's like i think for the i mean you know still when you're getting into sort of series six the digital effects the video effects look quite good like when um uh rimmer beams it when he's when he's sort of generated in the first episode of series six all those visual effects still look quite good but um yeah i mean when they decide to replace the the models for cgi in series six and seven it's just like uh, i it's can't believe it what are they doing yeah yeah it's such a fine line isn't it because i think when you're adding cg to things um i'm I'm not against the practice as like an alternative but i just think you have to strike that it's like the star wars argument isn't it you've got to put it you've got to make it feel seamless whereas well some some of the cgi i I think in the star wars original trilogy does work quite well with the 77 stuff but then some others don't same um you know or like on the class some of the classic doctor who ones when they add I get. I like it as an optional extra, but sometimes there are some sequences. I'm like, oh, that feels a bit too 
modern or a bit yeah. too out of place, you know, whatever. So I guess it's the same in these Red Dwarf. But if the whole thing's CG, and if you say it's not even it, 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 it wasn't CG, very good. Then... No, it, I mean it is. Mm. I should. It's on Daily Motion. If anybody wants to watch the remastered version of, <laughs> Daily... of, of it, it is yes, available. Daily Motion still exists. It does so unbelievably. It's, it's not going. been taken down yet. Um, when it crashed, when when they crashed the ship, um, they remember crashes the ship, and then they board, and they find him okay. But he does mm. he does come out looking like he's lost an arm. And at that point, I genuinely yeah. believed it because it made me think of Future Echoes where yes. Lister has a metal arm. And I thought, oh, God, is, I can't remember this. Even though I've watched all of the series before, I genuinely didn't realise at that point. I was like, I started to question myself. And is, mm. did he lose his arm here? I can't I can't remember. He's definitely got a metal arm in the future, according to Future Echoes. Did that fool anybody else, or was it just me? Adam? Um, I, as, as a first-time viewer, for like the first 10 seconds or so, I did believe it, because it is it is Red Dwarf and anything can happen. Um, but as the joke, so, as, well, as it sort of kept going, I thought, hang on a minute, and then obviously you get the reveal where he just sticks his middle fingers up at him and again like it, it was funny to a degree but again i just think because rim has been so horrible in this episode i just again it's that thing of i i didn't laugh as much as i could have done because i was like no i i you don't deserve my laughter you've 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 acted mm. absolutely horribly and without remote do you know what i mean that was just me anyway like it was yeah i i i i mean when I was younger, I, the first time I watched it, I was certainly like, oh my God, he's lost an arm. And I forgot about the gag until th- this time, until he appeared. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, it's a fake out. I can remember him, you know, doing the Vs and stuff. But it was funny watching the remastered version because when he first emerges with his arm missing in the remastered version, there's like nothing from the audience. They cut the laugh out because there's kind oh. of like an awkward laugh from the audience um when they first see that he's got an arm missing and it's kind of like oh okay it's all right he'll be all right this is weird seeing him without an arm but yeah in the remastered version they cut the laugh um which is really strange so obviously when they recut it they were like we want this bit to have more impact like Mm. oh my god lister's lost his arm so i guess phil they may have been airing in that direction of calling back to future echoes you know and it's like even even though would the events of Future Echoes still have happened because they the whole timeline's gone a bit wibbly? Yeah, well, he doesn't yeah. have his kids with him anymore. Which no, exactly. Echoes would have yeah, we've right. forgotten about them. So. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're one of the things they dealt with in that fast scrolling Star Wars they scroll. Yeah. Oh yeah, he sent them back to their original dimension that them oh, that yeah. their mum is from or dad or whatever. <laughs> Quick explanation, we love it. And um, when they all get back to Red Dwarf, all seems you know everything seems back to normal except uh well it isn't really because um cat comes in and uh no i'm sorry i got that wrong rimmer (laughs) you see how difficult it is rimmer comes in (laughs) body of rimmer and um he starts talking like cat because rimmer has clearly not learned his lesson and he's he's just going to be extra horrible and he's just swapped with cat who then promptly delves right into his food just like before and the credits roll. So, <laughs> what do we all think of the ending? Is it? Do you think it's a good ending or? It's yeah. alright. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's it's one of those where you're kind of like, okay, he's not learned his lesson. Crazy old Rimmer, and it's yeah. like that's the end. It's like, oh, we're not going to learn anything from what's happened here today. No, I don't. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. no one's actually going to take anything away. Um, sure. Again, like another kind of weird thing between the original and the, the the remastered one. This is the only bit that I think they added original footage from. Is that bit goes out for a couple of seconds longer in the mm. remastered version, uh, so you can actually see the cat pull up some chicken chicken drumsticks, and he puts okay. two beef burgers in front of his face for eyes. And it's kind of it does change the tone of that scene a little bit, because it kind of goes from. Okay, big crescendo. The episode's over. To big crescendo. Wasn't that really silly and daft? Because now I'm playing with my food and being weird. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a weird one. I think yeah, there's tonal inconsistencies in this story, um, mm. which are really only coming to the forefront of my mind hearing you guys talk about your kind of, you know, experiences with it. Yeah, I mean, I know I've Phil's heard me before say some of the endings because you, you know a lot of the endings do just as Phil said before they just happen. You know, mm. there's no like. 
like you say, there's no like, here's what we learnt today, which is fine, you know, it's just like, here's the ending, boom, done. Which is fine, but yeah, I just find those, I still find those, even three series in, sometimes a little bit jarring, even for mm. a comedy. I feel mm. I just wanted, I guess, maybe something a bit more to close it off, or at least some reassurance from Rimmer that he's not going to do that again, because it's really <laughs> awful. It felt but like he, it needed yeah. Rimmer to have some kind of comeuppance. So that yeah. the gag, the yeah. laugh was on him at the end, so that we yes. were laughing at yeah. him at the end, yeah. as opposed to laughing. Oh look, he's done it again. <laughs> yeah, knee slap. Oh, that mm. like you say, like you say, Billy. Oh, that rimmer, he's at it again. It's but, it's really strange. But then I guess, are we viewing this in a kind of episodic? These characters grow and develop kind of way, or are we viewing it in that kind of? Oh, it's a different caper every week. It's kind of like everything goes back in the box how much time has passed between these two stories, we don't know. It's just like a massive reset at the start of every episode. Yeah, like yeah. The, the status quo has just returned yeah. to normal. It's, Red Dwarf kind of sits in the middle of those two, really, doesn't it? Because sometimes it will completely reset and everybody's back to status quo the next episode. And sometimes they have character development and things do mm. change. So mm. it's always a bit of a guessing game. Like, what are they going to do this week? <laughs> Is this yeah, going to stick? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> It's a it's a very weird one to straddle, isn't it? Like you say, it's almost like having your cake and eating it, which they do. They have done really well sometimes. I'm not saying it can't mm. be done, but yeah, it's just it's hard to strike, as you say, that balance between are we resetting completely? Oh no, but we're carrying some little things over. But that yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mix up. But that in essence is the episode uh, body swap. I mean, you've heard listeners are thoughts on it quite a few ups quite a few downs as well so uh i think first and foremost let's talk about our funniest moments or funniest scenes in this episode so billy as our guest what was did you have a particular funniest moment i I do i mean there's two scenes that really stand out to me one which is a classic i think it's a stone cold classic red dwarf scene which is lister and the cat playing scrabble um, and just—that yeah, is yeah. just brilliant. That is such a great scene, um, and I, I, it kind of reminded me that even in episodes that are a bit middling or a bit meh of Red Dwarf, you can guarantee the cat is going to give you a one at least one good belly laugh per episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was good. Um, and I also another cat moment. Um, Danny John Jules really kind of stole certain scenes for me. Is when Crichton first hands over the tape with Lister's mind on it. And there's that beautiful bit of comic timing just where Danny just looks to, I think Rimmer's next to him and he just, just perfectly drops it into his cup of tea yeah. in front of him. Just and, and there's actually, if you look really, really closely, just before that shot cuts, you can see Craig corpsing. Oh, really? And there is a, there's a smirk on his face because he's pulling that kind of, you know, like the, vacant the, sort of expression. Yeah. And yeah, that he, he there's a very slight moment where he kind of corpses there. But yeah, those are my two kind of yeah big moments. Oh, that's, that, I, that I might go back and re I want to see where he corpses. But no, that, <laughs> that, that did make me belly laugh. That I say that comic time was absolutely spot on. Um, Phil, what about yourself? I put down the, well, I put it down as the girdle scene when uh, when they're leading yeah. and the lead up to it. Just that him, he can't, Again, it's tricky to... Rimmer, in Lister's body, <laughs> comes in in a, in a bathrobe and uh, and Lister's like, what are you doing? He makes him get on the scales. Or oh, is that after the girdle? I can't, I can't remember the order of it. But it's basically like, he's gone, no, I'm, I'm in fine shape. Look at this. Uh, and he's got, because he's got quite a flat stomach. That, but that's because he's got a girdle on. I don't know why, but just like that reveal was, and I kind of knew it was coming as well. Not from memory. It was just the obvious way it was going. Because <laughs> he's but, like, take it off. He's like, no, I don't want you to see my naked no, body. Take yeah. it off. <laughs> no, it's my naked body. He says. And just all of that interaction between the two of them, I just think worked really well. No, it did. Absolutely. Great picks, lads. Uh, mine, it's, it might seem the obvious one, but it's got to be the, the milkshake and snap bar gag uh, near the beginning, the auto just because I, it's one of those things like, you know, you say you should have seen it coming, but I just didn't. And then when mm. it gets revealed, the payoff was great. I love the whole setup of it, the whole way they go about it. It's just, uh, like you said, one of the, like a great standout Red Dwarf moment. And it's memorable. I'm, I know mm. I'm going to remember that gag when you say, what were your favorite parts of Red Dwarf? That's one of them. So yeah, brilliant. Uh, right. Next segment we do, uh, Billy is our, uh, favorite character of an episode, which can be anyone, doesn't matter if they've had a line or they've felt like they're the main one of the leads. So, 
Who was your favourite character in this episode? Oh, it's not Rimmer, is it? Um, it's probably <laughs> uh, it's probably the cat, and I yeah. and I know it's just it's one of those things, you know. That the joke has always been the cat has never had an episode to himself, yes, um, until yes. you get to the promised land, sort of, and even then, well, you'll you'll see. But it's it's kind of he's never had one dedicated to himself, right. and that's because he doesn't need it. Like Danny will just steal the show every time he's on screen and to me he's always the standout performer i've never seen danny pull in you know a half-assed performance and you know as we were kind of saying craig isn't really on the top of his game i think chris is struggling as well to be honest mm. um robert is you know it's Crichton's early days so he's kind of not anywhere near the plot um and neither's holly so hattie doesn't have much to do so for me it has to be it has to be danny as the cat as as, as my standout character Oh, that's fab. That's brilliant. That's great to hear as well, because I know me and Phil have said w- one thing we've talked about is, especially in these early episodes, we feel the cat doesn't have much to do in the plot. And sometimes he feels in completely series one and two, it was yeah. He kind of felt a bit like an extra. In he's yeah, he's kind of doing his own thing on Red Dwarf and he occasionally bumps into them. That's yeah. Whereas, like yeah. when they yeah. start to actually form a sitcom and, you know, they have to go out in Starbug. He's always with them. They're just like inseparable at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, uh, Phil, what about you? Who is your favourite? I've actually gone, because, like we said earlier, there's a bit of a low energy to most of the cut, especially uh, Chris and Craig, quite a low energy to them this week. I've actually given it to Holly. Um, And the reason is mainly because of the context of what we've seen of Holly so far, this new version of Holly. Uh, I've said it in a few episodes now, that it's felt like in every episode up to this point where Holly has had lines, it has been sort of almost painfully obvious that those lines were written for Norman Lovett and Mm. that her take on them, because they were written for him, it just doesn't quite work as well. And I don't know if these lines were, but they'd reached the point in the scripting process where they knew they didn't have Norman anymore and therefore they were working to her strengths or it was just coincidence. But they, they de- it just seemed to work so much better than we've had in the last four episodes of her. That they, mm. they sort of works with her comic timing. So just because in comparison to the rest of it, it really stood out to me. It really, I was like, oh, excellent. We're getting a, a decent Hattie performance as Holly now. We're getting. It feels like her. Yeah, I think I think she's changed tact because she's not doing that kind of passive. Because I can hear Norman doing that. You know. Um, you know, we could stand here and get blown up. He's, you know, doing that kind of thing. I can hear him being a lot more passive and kind of joking along with them. Whereas, like, Hattie is like, no, we've got some choices here. Well, we stand here and get blown up. We sit down here and get blown up. Yeah. We all get blown up, you having a go at me. And it's like she's kind of butting up against them and arguing with them for the first time. And, yeah, yeah I think that is more of a dynamic you see with Hattie going forward as Holly. She certainly can give it back to them. Um, mm. That kind of sass and the kind of ignorance and arrogance. Um, yeah, so I, I, I totally see that, Phil, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. about you, Adam? Who is your favourite character? It, it was tough for me because I think as I from like an acting perspective, like we mentioned about the the mimicry, and as I think you said, Billy, near the beginning, I mean, Chris Barry is a very strong mimic. And just for, as an actor myself, I really respected the craft he has and obviously the work he put in. But uh, like has been addressed by the, the pair of you, like the the two leads aren't necessarily on the top of their game this time, or it doesn't feel that way. Uh, and then just Rimmer's character decisions really just put me off. So I was like, I love you, Chris, but I can't do it. Um, I'm going to go with you, Billy. It was the cat for me, which is really lovely, because I don't think I've said the cat before so far, for the reasons I said, you know, we feel like he's sort of sidelined a bit. He's just sort of there. But um, yeah, he was the one who, like said, who had the most energy, who had some of the best jokes. So... Yeah, I'm going to go with you and join join it with the cat. So, good on Danny John Jules. There he is. I've finally given him a favourite cat. It's only taken me, what, what like 16 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last thing we tend to do each week is we rate an episode out of uh, 10 scutters. How many scutters out of 10? So, Billy, as our guest, how many scutters would you give Body Swap out of 10? Do you know what? Like, I, I There are some episodes of the show that I know people really don't like. And so with Red Dwarf for me, I always try to keep it at a five or above because mm-hmm. it does, it is my one of my, you know, it's my favourite other TV show. And yeah. so I, for all its faults, 
you know there are things to enjoy in series seven there's things to enjoy in series eight but i think this is probably the story in this era of red dwarf sort of during the peak of its run that i like the least uh-huh. um there are a couple of episodes here and there that i'm not as fond of or i usually skip when i'm kind of marathoning them or whatever but do you know what like i think this might be my one of my least favorite episodes of red dwarf i just That's think fair. that because it is based on the comedy and it's based on that energy with the audience and it's not there i it just does, it just is missing something for me that other episodes of red dwarf aren't missing sure. um even in later seasons like seven um when they get rid of the audience completely and it's shot more like a drama like a film there's at least something different going on there so you can kind of forgive it if it if it feels a bit different but um yeah. You know, there are there are certain you know mitigating circumstances that meant this couldn't be shot in front of an audience because of the technical things, but I just thought it just didn't have the energy for me, so I, I have to put it down as sort of like a maybe a two or three eight scutters. There's there's good Ooh, moments, but I'd say I'd say wow. maybe maybe three. I'd say a three. Wow, that I think is our lowest score ever. That is our lowest uh, score ever. I don't mean to come in here and be like no, no, a, a no, killjoy, I mean... but it's no. just. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, fair, man. You gotta stay true to. I mean, who knows? We might do it similarly. I mean, Phil, but, what? Do you know what? what? Sorry, sorry, Phil. I, no, I go for it. Really, I feel really bad. I feel like I. I no, no, no. It's no, no, just an observation. But, you you go for three if you want. But do you, do you know what? Like, the, but there are episodes. But series eight exists. Like, Pete, one part one and part two <laughs> exists. The Cry TV exists. So this has got to be like a four. I'll give it a oh, four. Boy. You give it okay. a four. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a five. And which is also my lowest score so far wow, that I've given wow, an episode wow. because it, for many of the same reasons as I think that you gave it so low, it, it just doesn't have, just does it lacks energy. It it the, the the comedy doesn't always quite work because of the lack of energy. I think is mm. part of the cause of it. It it also felt slightly like it was of a different era because it felt like an episode in terms of structure from series one or two in terms of the plot mm. and the structure it felt like it would fit more in there as well than it yeah. does in in this sort of era of the more high high action type thing that they've they've started to move towards so yeah i think i'm yes it's my lowest score as well uh, uh, it's slightly above what you gave it there uh, with a five are you gonna are you gonna redeem it adam or is it is it gonna be our <laughs> I thought well, Adam was quite shocked by my score. I felt like like maybe maybe Adam you no, enjoyed it the most out of us. No, I, I, only because as I say we maybe well I think we either we've enjoyed it or we've been generous. Me and Phil have always I, I'd say we usually go for like seven and above. I think I gave one right. six. I can't remember what that was to, but I, yeah, I, I think six, six six or six and a half was my six lowest and a half, before yeah. this. Right. Um, I'm gonna settle. Uh, because honestly, between the middle of you, I'm gonna go four point five. Uh, just because. Like like we've said, there are some really great jokes in there and gags, like all of our funniest moments, for example. But I just think like you need it's it's it seems weird saying you need more than just a few jokes to make a sitcom funny. But to make it funny throughout the whole thing, do you know what I mean? It mm. felt like more oh that was some good jokes, but the whole thing, you know, and just as as I've said, like Rimmer's. <laughs> I get Rimmer's reasoning, but the way it's portrayed is just really dodgy and a bit weird, yeah. and I don't, I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's probably obvious, but I just think there were probably better ways you could have executed that motive without making him seem really like reprehensible about it. Yeah, Re- totally. Yeah. Uh, it's one episode I probably. I probably wouldn't watch it again in full. Maybe for those moments, like if it was like funniest gags compilation, yeah. like the milkshake gag, I'd do that. But I don't think I'd want to watch this one again so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go 4.5 is that which what is the, the point five is for the point yeah. five is for the milkshake gag but you know what's but, uh, funny though it's like all our all the funniest moments pretty much are totally disconnected from the body swap plot well and it's it's that's... kind of like it's like they've stretched the idea quite thin really haven't they it's like they've had the idea for the opening scene it makes a great pre-credit sequence sort of gag but then when we move on kind of beyond that it's like well, what what more can we do with this concept? It's kind of loose, you know. The jokes are loosely attached to the conceit yeah. going through it, you know. Absolutely. So, well, that just goes to show, isn't it? They were jokes that could have belonged in better episodes, mm, <laughs> or they something could've. like that. But, but okay. Well, uh, four, four point five, and five are all of our lowest uh, scores on the podcast so far. Will it be 
Will it go down further in the in what I'm guessing is the infamous series seven and eight? <laughs> what I'm hearing, you'll find out when I when we get there. I maintain um, that series seven isn't that bad. Okay. Series eight is a different okay. matter. Yeah, but. series. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'd agree. Yeah, series seven is is better. It has more. What I'm feeling qualities. right now is must be what fans of like Doctor Who, but who maybe <laughs> yeah. don't know like all yeah, the classic yeah. ones. You go, oh, season seven's the best season. Yeah. Season sixteen's not very good. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is what I'm feeling right now. I'm like, oh well, season eight must be really bad of Red Dwarf. But. <laughs> You watch, we're going to get to it, Phil, and I'll be like, this is the greatest series of all time. But... I think I should come back for one of those Series 8 Oh, ones. please do. Yes. I, I'd love to. That'd be please so fun do. just to see. Because also, like, I'm joining you sort of partway on this journey, Adam, as well. So it'd be yes, interesting once yeah. you've seen it all through and maybe gone back and watched the odd episode because you liked it. Yeah. To see you get to Series 8 or something, you know, when you when, maybe like the, the, the opening two-parter. Like, it'll be really interesting to see that change, you know? Yeah. We are going all the way to the promised land as well. We are. This. So we do also have to, at some point, tackle Back to Earth. <laughs> True. Wow, yeah. Do you know... I've, uh, I've heard about Back to Earth. <laughs> I, I, I won't give, like, too much away, but I, I watched it not long ago. Sorry, Adam, this is going completely off right. But I watched it not long ago, and the director's cut of it is way better oh, than the three-part version. It's much better to watch it as a, as a director's cut, as a full movie as it was intended, I think, rather than chopped up into three bits. Okay. All right. Well, there we go, Phil. We've got to watch the director's cut. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, that brings us to the end of another episode of Everybody's Dead Dave. We do hope you enjoyed it. Um, Billy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you as our guest this week. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. It was nice to come on and talk about Red Dwarf with you. Yeah, and we'll have you on again. Don't you worry. We're going to have you back. We're going to have you back. But um, before you do go, if there's any... Any of your socials you want to shout out? Where can people find you or any projects you're working on? Uh, well, uh, yeah, so Twitter. Um, you can find me at Garrett John, G-A-R-R-A-T-T-J-O-H-N. Um, and you can also, yeah, I, I do stuff on Pharos Features. So I've got some other kind of audio projects coming up there. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's just about it for me. Awesome, man. Awesome. And uh, Phil, what about yourself? Where can the lovely people find you? Well, if you're not if you're listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify or one of the many other podcast platforms you can also watch a squiggly line that is a waveform uh on my youtube channel while we speak and some nice little uh draw hand-drawn um depictions of me and adam drawn by the the lovely sophie isles as well um so you can you can check all that out and a lot of doctor who content and other pop culture content star trek mcu i do a lot of stuff uh, on anything geeky that I like, really, over on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Philip Hawkins, Philip with one L. Nice and easy to find. Hmm. There you go. And uh, for myself, it's also just my name, Adam Martin with the Y. Tap that in on YouTube. I should pop up um, on Twitter, uh, Adam Martin AMTV. You should find me there um, just for my daily ramblings, <laughs> which is often what I do. I'm like Phil, talk about a lot of pop culture stuff, mainly Doctor Who, but other things as well. And yeah, that's me. So, uh, well, all that's left to be said. uh, Billy, thank you once again for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. And Phil, that's another one in the can on our our long, illustrious journey through Red Dwarf. And uh, yeah, listeners, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.